This is Amy Poehler. My new movie, Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2, is coming to theaters June 14th, and it's making me feel joy and sadness and anger. Definitely some disgust. Rose! And I think a little fear. But I'm also feeling these new emotions like anxiety, embarrassment, envy, and ennui. It's what you call the boredom. Okay, that one was weird. It's going to be the feel-everything movie of the summer. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only in theaters June 14. Get tickets now. You're listening to All the Books, a weekly show of recommendations and enthusiasm regarding the week's new book releases. This is episode 272, and today we are talking about books being released on August 11th, 2020, and more. I'm Liberty Hardy, here with Vanessa Diaz, and we're coming to you from bookriot.com. Vanessa, hello! I'm saying hello to you like we didn't just talk for half an hour before we started recording. (laughs) It's nice to chat with you again. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) We gotta get that stuff out of the way, it's fine. Yeah. Makes me laugh because we were like, it's so hot in our office, and then we just started like chatting and then realized like, oh, wait. we're melting away. Yeah, there's a lot of melting. We haven't even recorded yet. <laughs> that's a really good thing you guys can't see us, or y'all can't see us. Um, oh. It's not attractive today, but that's okay, because our voices will make up for it. Yes. I would like to say hello to my mother-in-law and her friends who have just started listening <laughs> to the show, <laughs> and who think that I talk too fast. <laughs> Which. I do. Well, then they're really in for it with both of us combined. That is a bad, (laughs) bad day to listen for the first time. Yeah, Yeah, that is definitely like a contender for like my headstone. Be like, talked too fast. I've always talked like this. I actually slow it down for the show. So do I, but it's, I was patted on the head a lot as a child to like tell me to chill and I just, I never learned how. Sorry. And in Spanish, it's even worse because we just take out whole syllables. (laughs) It's, It's not great. So... This is as good as it gets. Well, awesome. Um, We have books to talk about today, as usual. But before we do that, we're going to hear from our first sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Hachette Audio. Three years ago, sports agent Myron Balatar gave a eulogy at the funeral of his client, renowned basketball coach Greg Downing. So why, you may ask... Is Greg now being placed at the scene of a double, not a singular, but a double homicide? I also wonder. So Greg Downing, who Myron gave a eulogy for, is a suspect and Myron needs some answers. So Myron and Wynn, longtime friends and colleagues, set out to find the truth. But the more they discover about Greg, the more dangerous their world becomes. Secrets, lies, and a murderous conspiracy that stretches back into the past churn at the heart of Harlan Coben's blistering new novel, Think Twice. And the audiobook is narrated by his longtime narrator, Steve Weber. Now, if you don't know about Steve, Steve gives each character distinct voices and accents, making this a more immersive listen. Make sure to check out Think Twice by Harlan Coben. And thanks again to Hachette Audio for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Thirsty by Jazz Hammonds. College student Blake and her girlfriend have one goal, join the exclusive sorority that promises connections to a network of trailblazing women of color. Now, Ella's acceptance is a sure thing. She's a daughter of a Serena Society alum. After all, Blake, on the other hand, lacks Ella's pedigree and her confidence. Luckily, though really unluckily, she finds courage at the bottom of a liquor bottle. 
When she drinks, she's bold and funny. And as pledging intensifies, so does Blake's drinking. Ella assures her that she's fine. Partying hard is what it takes. But with her future on the line, Blake must decide how far she's willing to go to achieve glittering dreams of success. Now, just so you know, Jazz Hammonds is the 2023 winner of the critic Scott King John Steptoe Award for New Talent for We Deserve Monuments. And We Deserve Monuments was an Amazon Best Books of the Year and Barnes & Noble Best Books of the Year for 2023. So suffice to say, y'all should check this new one out. Thanks again to Thirsty by Jazz Hammonds for sponsoring this episode. Okay, I'm feeling good. Do you have anything that you want to add, Vanessa, before we start talking about books? Oh, let's dive right in. All right. Then my first pick is a book that I talked about on last week's show that had already had the pub date moved by the time I recorded it. It is Leonard and Hungry Paul by Ronan Hessian. And so it is actually out today. And it's a really nice book. How often can you say that about a novel that you don't go searching for? You know, like, if you want to read, like, a really nice, wholesome, fun, lovely book, like, you usually have to search for something along those lines. You know, you have to find, like, a cozy mystery or something. This is just a nice novel. It's about two friends, Leonard and Hungry Paul. They are in their 30s. They're pretty normal guys. They're not, like, super quirky. Hessian doesn't make them, like, really exaggerated characters. They're just kind of, like, normal guys in their 30s. They're still living in the homes that they grew up in. They're good friends. Um, Leonard, he writes for children's encyclopedias. His mother has just passed away, so he's dealing with that. Hungry Paul, and now that I'm saying this, I don't know that we know why he's called Hungry Paul. I'm trying to remember now if it actually explains it, but I can't think of it, so. And maybe it would be a spoiler if I told you anyway. I don't know. But Hungry Paul lives with his parents who are retiring. He's this super chill guy. He works as a postman sometimes. And his older sister is getting married. So that's like the big excitement that's going on in the house, like planning for his parents' retirement and for his sister's wedding. And Leonard is going to go with him as a guest. It's just a nice novel. But it also has like these really great observations about life and family and friendship. It's charming. It's funny. It sort of has like this wry wholesomeness to it, which is like a really rare thing to find in a book these days, you know? Like, I feel like, and also, I also lean towards the dark and strange, you know? So for me to read something like this was just amazing. You know, I just was like, I don't read things like this. It was so great. So I just, I highly recommend it. If you like Frederick Bachman, you know, I would recommend it. Um, or you just want to read something lovely, it is Leonard and Hungry Paul by Ronan Hessian. I am going to take you on a wild ride in a very different direction now. Because <laughs> this is, I like a This been... one is about George and angry Peter. <laughs> oh, we're so strange. Uh, yeah, this is, uh, so I've been, I feel like, recommending a lot of, like, romance and happy stuff because that's where, like, my, you know, mental capacity has been. And I was like, well, let me, like, switch it up this week. And I unintentionally went they're pretty hard on some or for me anyway. Um, so the first is By Force Alone by Lovie Tadar. This has a trigger warning for violence and references to sexual assault, but I don't believe they're graphically on the page, but just so you know. So Lovie Tadar is kind of known for being very subversive in uh, all of his work, and this is no exception, and it's actually a retelling of the Arthurian tale, and that's a pretty quick way to get me to read something. I'm definitely one of those people. 
But the the copy for this book said something like, everyone thinks they know, you know, King Arthur's or the story of King Arthur and the Knights of the Round Table. The fact is that they don't know ish. And then all this other stuff. And I was like, oh, okay, oh, well, it's trying to be like funny. Like, let me dive into it. And no, like that, that, that tone was very much like set from the beginning. It's honestly kind of like if Tarantino got a hold of like an Arthur legend and then mashed it with Goodfellas and made it grimdark. It's, it's just all kinds of violent and strange. So no one is. I mean, like you. So again, Arthurian legend. Like you, it starts all the way, you know, with Uther Pendragon, and then you know goes forward and tells like the actual story of Arthur and the Knights, the Round Table, Lady of the Lake, Guinevere, all that. But it from the very beginning, like no, no one character is all that likable. I kept expecting like one of these fools to you know get me on their side, and for the most part, that just never you know came to fruition <laughs> the knights of the round table are all like a bunch of gangsters that are all very much out for themselves merlin is this manipulative little word i can't say and he very much he's like a misanthropy feeds on violence and conflict guinevere has this like merciless crew uh, that like that you know follow her everywhere they're called the choir of angels the lady of the lake is a super shady like arms dealer basically you know sword etc Lancelot is like a martial arts master. Like it's just a lot of things that like don't feel like they belong together. And I had to stop a few times to be like, well, what am I reading? It is it's violent, it's it's absurd. It is funny too. It's got a lot of wittiness. I mean it, it it's doing what it's doing for a reason. And this is probably where I'll mention you can either start with this or maybe just wait till the end, depending on how you like to experience books. But when I got to the afterword, that's where the author dives into the purpose of writing the story the way he did. And it's really taking a shot, essentially, at like British nationalism and Brexit and trying to point out that this like very uh this story that's like so quintessential to you know English lore and that we reference like time and time and again about as being a story of chivalry and you know good intentions is is actually like a metaphor for like the hypocrisy and stupidity of nationalism. So once I I based on a couple reviews, I went back and read or stopped, I should say, and read the afterward first. Or not first, but in the middle. And that kind of contextualized a lot of what I was reading, and it suddenly made more sense, and I actually enjoyed it more. So that may, you know, for more details, you should read it yourself, but it it definitely kind of changed the flavor. And I was like, oh, okay, so this is all very, like, pointedly done specifically for this purpose. Because at first I was just like, I mean, like, not one of y'all is likable? Like, not one? <laughs> it was, you know, kind of, oh, but but still very, like, yeah, sword clashy and, and fun in its own way. It's just, I think I needed that primer to kind of have it make more sense. So again, if you're into Arthurian retellings and like when it's, you know, trends on the subversive side and it's a, just kind of flipped upside down in interesting ways, then you may want to check out By Force Alone by Lavi Tadar. Okay, I have two things to add to that. One, I have a disease where anytime someone says Knights of the Round Table, I get that song from Money Python. Of course you do. Girl stuck in my head for like weeks. You're welcome. And then you said it like two or three times, so it's in there. It's in there good now. It's lodged. I'm going to be singing that forever. And two... He has a middle grade novel coming out on mm, September 1st called yep. The Candy Mafia. Yep. Have you seen this? No, I have, I have it like marked. <laughs> yes. After yeah. This. It says, in a city where candy is a crime and sugar is scandalous, Nellie Falker is a 12-year-old private detective looking for her next client. I marked that too. This is Charlie in the Chocolate Factory meets Bugsy Malone. <laughs> exactly. I was like, did you see it? <laughs> 
That's exactly what I was going to say. Yeah. Black market candy rings. <laughs> I would like have never assumed that there was going to be a middle grade based on like what I was reading. And then when I read the concept, I was like, oh, okay, that makes sense. Because at first I was like, there is no way this person should be writing middle grade. But nah, no, it's cool. They gave me a green light. I'm excited. And I am doubly excited to read By Force Alone now because I have it and I'm a big fan of his, but I didn't read it because you had written it down first. So can't wait to check that out. No, it's it's a ride. <laughs> Enjoy. <laughs> And speaking of amazing crime books, I did not have a very successful August 11th reading day. I tried out a lot of things. I tried them on, but I left them on the rack uh, because I just, I didn't have a lot of luck. So I'm going to talk about a book that actually came out on July 14th, but I couldn't talk about it on the show because they were a sponsor that day. It is a fabulous crime novel. It is called Blacktop Wasteland by S.A. Cosby. Have you read this? I have heard nothing but good things about it from so many people, oh, so I have it's it. So good. Okay, yeah. I mean, literally everybody I know is like, I know it's a sponsor title. We were going to read it anyway. It's really great. So, yep. So good. So, I am a huge sucker for the one last job trope where, like, you know, former oh, criminals are yes. pulled back in to just do like one last job or like sometimes blackmailed into doing one last job. The Italian yeah. job, all that. Yeah. Yeah. And like, you know, like how people yell at, at horror movies, like, don't go down the stairs. I'm always like, don't you know any better? Like, this is, this never goes well for people. And that is what this book is. It's about a man named Beauregard Montage. He's called Bug for short. Uh, and Bug used to be the best wheelman, i.e. the best driver for escape vehicles uh, on the East Coast. And he's retired. He's been retired for 15 years now. He is now a f responsible father and responsible husband. And he's a business owner. He has a, a garage. He works as a mechanic. But living the straight and narrow life it doesn't pay as well. And he's drowning in debt and his business isn't doing well. And he comes across a chance to do one last job. It's supposed to be super easy. And, of course, it goes horribly wrong. Because that's what's exciting about this book. And, you know, it's like this: these two dumb criminals ask him to help them pull a diamond heist. Like, they're going to do all the work. All he has to do is drive. And it's basically like an easy job, but it's a good plan set up by dumb criminals, which is not a good idea. But he's like, I need the money and I can do this. And everything goes wrong and it becomes this, you know, action-packed crime thriller with a lot of violence and a lot of drama. It's great... You know, and you're thinking like, well, I probably heard this story before, but this one is exceptional. Bug is an exceptional character. Uh, you know, we learn a lot about his life. He's very well written. Um, you know, it's like about the realities of being a black man in America, the realities of being a black man and a business owner in the South. Uh, we learn about the disappearance of his father, who is also a criminal, and how he is attempting to be a good man. He wants to, you know, stay out of jail, but... You know, this is supposedly such easy money. And, like, you see, like, his conflict, like, the push and pull of, you know, does he or does he not, you know, take this job? Obviously, he does. We know this. But, you know, he's a great antihero. The rights to this sold right away, I think, like, a day or two before it came out. Um, and it's going to be either a movie or a TV show. But it's it's so excellent. I can't wait to watch it. It also has, like, really memorable villains. I love, you know, crazy, over-the-top, really bad guys. Like, uh, oh, good. Who's my favorite? Vincent D'Onofrio in Salt and Sea. Ooh. Ooh, he's a scary guy. He is. Um, I love characters like that. He's got some of those. Has amazing action scenes. I think that, like, car chases are, like, the hardest thing to write in a book, you know. And when it's done well, it's great. So if you like Attica Locke, Walter Mosley, Lou Burney, 
Donald Westlake, Elmore Leonard, George Higgins, Don Winslow. I could go on and on. This one, debut novel, already at the top of its class. It is Blacktop Wasteland by S.A. Cosby. You just hit me with a lot of my favorite crime writers, so that was good. Ta-da! <laughs> and because this is Random Anecdote Corner today, <laughs> I have mentioned many times that as a kid, I, you know, watched like a lot of us did like shows where the characters were English or got narrated mm-hmm. in English because that's how things work. But, you know, I was a small Mexican child, but I became obsessed with all that kind of stuff. But there was a very long time where I, I don't know where I heard it, but I heard the name Beauregard, which is not English per se, but I heard it. And I thought that was a cool name to like name your kid someday. So if people would ask me like, oh, you want to name your kids? I forget what the girl name was, but mine was Beauregard for a boy, but I couldn't really pronounce it. So it's Borrega, which kind of means go. Like, yeah, anyway, that's two anecdotes from a small Mexican child trying to learn English. Hi, TV is very powerful. It is. You know, I didn't tell you this, but um, I've been trying to relax on my break here and I've been watching Mary Tyler Moore and Taxi. Oh. And I highly recommend it. Uh, super problematic for very different reasons. I mean, Both shows, they're very old, but also just fantastic. I think Danny DeVito might be one of the greatest actors of all time. Oh my God, I haven't thought about Danny in a minute, but yeah, I, I concur. Yeah. So yeah, TV, it's a great, it's great. But um, bump, bonus content. <laughs> oh, so fun. Not even behind the paywall. <laughs> Sorry, that's the thing we talked about earlier. <laughs> okay, I guess I should tell you about another book now. So my next pick is, um, I was going to say in the Spanish action, Veritas, a Harvard professor, a con man, and the gospel of Jesus' wife by Ariel Sabar. Let me tell you, before you're like, this girl's hitting us with something different than she normally would. The honest truth is, I think I've been chasing the high of the Da Vinci Code since it came out. I'm an unapologetic Dan Brown person. Probably one of the reasons I eventually came to work at Book Riot. Uh, I just super dig that, like, heisty, deep dives into... Uh, I guess conspiracy, but really, like, I just am very much solidly in the wheelhouse or the uh, the school of thought. I mean, that, you know, truth is often much, much stranger and darker than fiction. And so I love hearing all these interesting things about, like, old institutions, including, you know, Christianity. And this story is just really bonkers to be true. And that's why I decided to go with it. So it's a work of nonfiction. Ariel Sabar is, I believe, an investigative journalist by trade. And this book is... So it starts in 2002. It's a story of a woman named Dr. Karen King, who was a professor at Harvard's Divinity School. And she wasn't just, you know, any old professor. She was like, la mera mera. Like, she was highly respected, very revered, and considered as sort of like the elite scholar of religious studies, specifically like female figures in, I think, the like the lost texts from Egypt, like the lost Christian texts, uh, the Gnostic Gospels, which often refer more to like esoteric knowledge. So it's the idea that, you know, salvation and Christianity is not like 100% tied to like the suffering and death of Jesus, but that it's more of a thing like if you want to have a spiritual, spiritual relationship, then you just sort of can with, you know, God, if you believe. So her particular vantage point and her perspectives have always or had always been a little bit on the controversial side, specifically, you know, within Christianity, where like hardcore, if you, that's what you want to call them, like Christians and Catholics very much believe that, you know, only the gospels that made it to the New Testament are like what needs to be what's what's considered, you know, valid. So she made a real big splash because, again, she's like at the top of her field very much a big deal in this community. And she's at this conference that's in Rome, like steps away from the Vatican. And she makes this big old announcement. She's like, hi, excuse me. Hi. Like I have found located and authenticated a ancient fragment of papyrus 
in which Jesus refers to Mary Magdalene as my wife, which a lot of this, for those of you who have read, you know, Tan Brown is going to sound very familiar. And I think that's kind of what ended up hooking me, but mainly because I knew it was a work of investigative journalism. I was like, well, I kind of want to know more. And it doesn't necessarily go where you think. Like, the you know existence of this gospel of Mary has always been this, a huge deal. We do definitely know that there are other gospels out there. And this is, you know, I don't have a great relationship with the church, although I grew up in it. But this is just an area of things, you know, that really interests me because of the ways in which, you know, history is very much shaped by the people who were around when it was being made. And, you know, it's it's done with a very particular goal in mind often. And it would appear based on the like leaving out of certain texts and gospels that you know it was kind of a contrived idea to make sure that like men were the only ones who were allowed to participate in church leadership and who were considered like the authoritative voice in the church and to this day you know there's that idea especially well in catholic um or catholicism anyway that it's you know celibate and all male and so the existence of this gospel and the idea that mary magdalene who has historically been painted as you know a prostitute and that she would have been not only his wife, which was a really big deal, you know, Jesus' wife, but also the the like cornerstone of the church, that it wasn't indeed supposed to be Peter, but that it, you know, might have been her. So when this woman, again, top of her field, big deal, comes out and is like, I have researched this thing like all the way live, you people, of course, are <laughs> shocked, appalled, and a little bit terrified, depending on, you know, who you are. And the book is told in kind of flashbacks to when she first got the email from a person saying like, hey, I have these these bits of papyrus and this is what I think it is. And of course, she right away believed that it was a hoax. And then, you know, more and more stuff happens. And this is where things just go like off the rails. And I obviously won't, you kind of know where this is going based on the title, but this huge investigative, it's like, it's, it becomes like a detective story. This, you know, our, the author goes to like the former headquarters of the East German Stasi ends up in Berlin, ends up in like rural Florida. And there is, it's like, I don't even want to say the rest of this because it's just pretty, pretty wild. But the end of this, as you again know from that subtitle, is that there is a con involved. And it is such a tragic story because essentially you're watching this woman's career sort of fall apart based on something that it's like anybody who would, of you know, Peter could have been fooled given like who she was and the background that she like brought to the table. So it was just again like Da Vinci Code if it was real or if it, I mean it is real like this portion anyway because it's a, a real story and it reads very very much like fiction. Like I had to remind myself that that's not what it was, but I'm also equally impressed by the amount of work that went into this because it's pretty pretty intense. So again, if that's kind of the thing you've been looking for, be like let me let me do it in nonfiction. Then <laughs> this one might be up your alley. That's Veritas, a Harvard professor, a con man, and the Gospel of Jesus's Wife by Ariel Sabar. Oh, now I want to read that next. It was wild. Like, there's a... Oh my god, I don't even... Yeah, I'm not going to say the parts that really shock me, because you should just read them. <laughs> oh, yeah, now I'm definitely going to read that next. I've been leaning really hard into true crime the last few weeks. Something about this year. It's like, it's going to embrace the dark side, I guess. <laughs> um, and I read an excellent book about a true crime that took place at Harvard that's coming out at the beginning of next year. Uh, speaking of Harvard, which is called We Keep the Dead Close. And I love a con story, so I am excited to check that one out. It's Harvard Con Day. Yeah, it's, it's good. Yeah. My next pick is another one that is not out today. It came out last week, so hooray! You may already have it in your possession. Run to it right now and pick it up because it's so amazing. It is Luster 
by Raven Lalani, which they sent me luster nail polish, like the publisher. Like they made like a special color that matches the book cover and it's amazing. And so maybe while I'm reading about the con job at Harvard, I'll paint my nails luster color. But this one reminded me, I want to say a little bit of like, like Queenie, but not too much because I don't want people to think too much about Queenie. But it is about a 23-year-old woman named Edie. She lives in Bushwick. She's sort of lost in her life. She's an inspiring artist, but she works an administrative job that she hates. She makes a lot of bad choices. She makes a lot of bad relationship choices. Uh, And she meets a guy named Eric, who's like twice her age. And he has an open marriage. And so they start dating, although he's not great. Uh, He's kind of an angry, he's an angry alcoholic, really. And she kind of falls for Eric, not because she likes him, but she kind of likes his family more. And then she loses her job and Eric and his wife invite her to move in with them. Which is, she's like, oh, I don't know what else I'm going to do. I don't have any money for rent. She gets evicted. That's what it is. She gets evicted. And after she loses her job. And so she moves in with him and his wife. His wife works in a morgue. And they have an adopted teenage daughter named Akila. And so Edie kind of falls for, like, this family life. And she also bonds with Akila. Akila is adopted. She is black, like Edie. Uh, and she doesn't know any other black women. She has no other black women in her life. Uh, and so they sort of bond And she, now that Edie doesn't have a job, she has more time to invest in spending with Akilah. And Edie is also a trauma survivor. You know, she's an amazing woman. She's talented. She's smart and she's funny. But she's really tired. I mean, she's only 23 and she's already like so tired of this life and the things that it has offered her. It's such a vivid, incredible, uncomfortable, steamy, awkward novel. It's not... I don't know. The narration is a little hard to follow at times, I found. But I think sometimes the best literary fiction is worth the work. And it's about race and sex and trauma in the 21st century. And I just thought it was fantastic. It's not a feel-good book, but it's a real good book. How hokey is that? But it's so it's so good. And it's very slim. And if you like literary fiction, you know, this this one should go right to the top of your list. It is Luster by Raven Lalani. And now we're going to hear from another sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Bloom Books. Diana Dixon has a busy summer and no time for tall, gorgeous hockey player Shane's shenanigans. Because you know what? If they shenan once, they'll shenan again. So she thinks she knows exactly who he is when he moves into her apartment building. But turns out Shane's sick of hookups and tired of being on the rebound after his long-term girlfriend called it quits. But when his ex comes back into the picture, he needs a plan. And who better to play his new girlfriend than his sassy new neighbor? So a fake relationship might be perfect for Diana's own ex issues, but Diana is used to living by the rules. Will she learn that when it comes to love, rules are meant to be broken? Make sure to check out The Dixon Rule by L. Kennedy. L. Kennedy is a New York Times and USA Today bestselling author with over a million copies of her books sold. So this is going to be another banger, y'all. Make sure to check it out. And thanks again to Bloom Books for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Four Eads and a Funeral by Farida Abike Iemide and Adiba Jai Gadar. 
And let me just say, these two authors are powerhouse YA authors. They write bangers. They write fire novels that slap. Just letting y'all know that off rip. So ex-best friends Tiwa and Saeed must work together to save their Islamic center from demolition. Tiwa doesn't understand what made Saeed start ignoring her, but it's probably that fancy boarding school of his. Anyway, he's unexpectedly staying at home through the summer and she's determined to take a page from him and pretend he doesn't exist. So there's that. But when the Islamic Center accidentally catches fire, it turns out the mayor plans to demolish the center entirely. Shady, shady boots. So will all their efforts be enough to save the Islamic Center, save Saeed, and maybe even save their relationship? Listen, time will tell. Make sure to check out the new book. And thanks again to Four Eads and a Funeral by Farida Abike Iyamide and Adiba Jagadar for sponsoring this episode. Okay, what do you have for me next? I have some of the similar tones you just talked about, but in a very differently packaged book. So like sex, race, and trauma, but also maybe aliens. Uh, so this <gasps> book is called Cia Martinez and the Moonlight Beginning of Everything by Raquel Vasquez Gilliland. Gilliland? So this comes with a trigger warning for sexual and racial trauma. Not like heavy on the page. It's been a bit since I read this one, but it's it's there. And racist language. Lots of racist language. So this, it's been, I think when the book opens, like maybe three years since Artemisia Martinez, known as Cia her mom was deported thanks to this really just terrible racist sheriff in their tiny Arizona town. And the mom tries to cross the Sonoran, you know, come back across the desert on foot to reunite with her family, and she goes missing along the way. So, of course, this loss, or perceived loss at least, you know, devastates the family. Sia grieves her mother daily, of course. And the loss is just sort of made all the more profound by these awful racist attitudes in the town. It's obviously not just this particular sheriff. It's a ugh, just a disease that's like very pervasive throughout, you know, the whole place. She thankfully has, you know, a support system to help her through it, which a really great cast of characters. Her dad is a park ranger. He's so sweet. And her best friend is this really amazing Haitian American girl and the spirit of her late abuela acts as like a spiritual guide. So these were all the elements that kind of had me hooked from the beginning because I love discussions of like, yeah, ancestral spirit guides, especially when they're so steeped in like Mexican cosmology, the way this one is. And then, so one of the things that Sia does throughout her, as part of like her, you know, grieving process, I guess, is that she goes out into the desert. I don't remember how often. I think it's, oh, you know what? I think it's with every full, every new moon. And she goes and she lights candles for her mother. She usually brings along her friends. And there's also this, you know, nice young man who is new at school, who is this like mysterious poetry loving white boy and she's kind of into him and also has like some questions but so he you know tags along and on one of these nights when she's out there in the desert candles you know trying to communicate with her mother this giant spacecraft crashes it lands you know in front of Sia's car oh my god surprise that's already you know like exciting enough except wouldn't you know Sia's mother is on the ship and she's very much alive. So then follows adventure time. (laughs) It's like, I just did not expect for that. I kind of went into this, like Liberty and I talked about, we sometimes like to go into books blind, like not really knowing what they're about. And I kind of did that here and was like, oh, so that's what we're doing. Uh, (laughs) Cool. So from there on out, it is a romp. It's, It's great if there is... 
definitely elements of magical realism that, like I said, are based in like Mexican cosmology. And what I did not expect at all from this book and was, you know, good to see, yes, there is definitely some interrogation of whiteness, which is, you know, well-deserved and a thing that we need to talk about right now. And, you know, discussions of racism. It's also very sex positive. Uh, There is, again, some reference to, well, there's plenty actually of explorations of trauma. Sia has, uh, you know, trauma in her past that she's trying to work through. And then now there's this, you know, boy that she's like super interested in. And so it dives into that space of her like the like steamy makeout sessions and you know sex or what have you are told mainly from her perspective so we're getting that's not a thing that we see as often i think as we should at least not maybe outside of the romance space and it was great to see that i mean it's it's, it is again it's very like sex positive and it was an exploration of what it's like to try to be sex positive and to enjoy sex and like the experience of falling in love and all that when you have these like deeper, darker things in your past. And your mom has just, you know, arrived on a spacecraft after you thought she was maybe dead. So (laughs) it's just a lot of things that I wasn't expecting, but that I was, you know, pretty pleased to encounter. So that again, there's a lot to explore. It's it's like the dialogue is great. There's some funny, like lighthearted parts and then some parts that are more serious, but I really enjoyed it overall. So that is Sia Martinez and the Moonlight Beginning of Everything by Raquel Vasquez Gilliland. All right. My life is kind of like that story, but I'm pretty sure that my mom came out of the spacecraft before she had me. I think that's how that story went. It answers all the questions. Yeah. But many of them, yes. Uh, so my last pick is a very slim book. So I'm going to give you a quick rundown of it. It is called The Shame by McKenna Goodman. It's another fantastic little literary novel like Luster. It's about a woman named Alma who, by all accounts, has a picture-perfect home life. She lives in Vermont in the beautiful countryside. Her husband works at the college. She has great young children. They live on a farm. They get their own maple syrup. And one day, she up and takes off and goes to New York. And so now Alma is telling us the story of how that came to be and how she began to feel uncertain in her life. Like, was she being the best mother that she could be? Was she being the best wife that she could be? Is this what she really wanted? You know, and this is sort of like her search for a meaningful life. And she talks about how her uncertainties and fears grew year after year. And, you know, her doubts in herself and also how she spends a lot of time examining the life of an online influencer. I love that we're in a period now where, you know, the Internet and influencers play a a part in stories. Um, And so she becomes like really obsessed with watching this woman on Instagram. And, you know, because we all know that that's not what their lives are really like. But, you know, we still like fall for it time and again, being like, I wish my life was, you know, that easy or that pretty or that whatever, you know. And if you like Otessa Moshveg, this this is what that reminded me of, like her books. It's about, you know, thinking about like who we are when no one is watching, you know, and is that person a good person? And it's it was just very interesting. And like I said, it's a very small book uh, and I really enjoyed it. It's called The Shame and it's by McKenna Goodman. Yay. All right, I will bring us home here. So my next pick, my last pick, is Zoe by Xander Miller, which, just full disclosure, I am, like, almost close to finishing, but have not gotten to, like, the very, very end. But I feel pretty confident recommending it just based on what I know so far. So this is set in the 1990s in a fishing village on the western tip of Haiti. 
And we meet our main character, whose name is Wazu, and or he goes by Zo. And during his childhood, he well, or in his in his childhood, or he just is an orphan. <laughs> that was a very weird way for me to phrase that. Okay, he's an orphan, so he learns to swim and fish and do kind of just like odd jobs throughout his life in order to stay afloat. He learns how to harvest almonds, how to cut sugarcane, and sort of just bounces around the island in his youth. Again, finding work wherever he can. And so when we are, you know, dive into the meat and potatoes of the book, he is a young man. He is doing one of these odd jobs, I think, hauling cement in like the, you know, blistering heat. When he looks up and is like, is that a mirage? No, it's actually a beautiful woman sipping, you know, cherry juice under like the shade of a tree to stay cool. So he learns that that young woman is Anaya. She's this beautiful nursing student from, you know, like a quote unquote good family. So Sparks fly it's like sort of insta love from the moment they lock eyes but their love is ill-fated because anaya's father is is he's she's his only daughter and he's just super protective and he wants the best for his daughter and so he makes it very clear under no uncertain terms that you know he doesn't approve of zo zo is in his eyes undeserving because he's you know poor and educated and doesn't come from a good family all that good stuff so he not only forbids anaya from seeing zo but actually sends her away to port-au-prince to the capital so you've got you know romeo and juliet vibes at this point essentially and indeed much like in that tragedy you know these lovers are star-crossed because in addition to just being separated and that being you know its own tragedy major tragedy strikes because The book, again, started off in the 90s. We've moved forward. And so on January 12th, 2010, that massive, I think, what, 7.0 scale earthquake ravages Haiti. And, you know, I think it was centered like 20, 25 miles west of the capital. And obviously that's where Anaya is. It destroys nearly everything in its wake. You know, this is obviously a real event from history. And it's so it, you know, alters essentially the course of everybody's life and definitely of our, you know, two protagonists. So again, I'm not all the way through with it, but based on what I have read, I'm just like, oh my god. Like, I mean, I remember when the news of the hurricane, you know, hit. It seems, for whatever reason, not as long ago as 10 years, but apparently it has been. And so getting to read the story, because, you know, I think a lot of us anyway have read several sort of retelling type of stories of, you know, many, many a Shakespearean tragedy, but definitely Romeo and Juliet. And it was pretty great to spend time with some characters that are in like a less typical part of the world. I'd love, yeah, that it, it was, it's pretty heartbreaking because <laughs> then that you kind of see coming, but it's really beautifully written and I can't wait to, to finish the rest of it to see where it goes. So yeah, that is Zoe by Xander Miller. Okay. Those are our new books. What are you going to read next? Uh, so I, uh, I'm so excited to read Lobisona. It's that new book by Romina Garber that is like Argentine folklore and undocumented immigrants and werewolves. So yeah, I think I'm going to pick that one up. Yay. And what about you? I just got the new Kate Summerscale. Oh. I'm very excited because like I was saying, I'm super into like true crime and weird stuff right now. And Kate Summerscale wrote The Wicked Boy and The Suspicions of Mr. Witcher. And this one is called The Haunting of Alma Fielding, A True Ghost Story about a woman who was haunted in London in 1938. And when I was reading a little bit of the description, it said that one of the things that happened to her is that while she was driving in her car, a turtle would materialize on her lap. That which sounds awesome. (laughs) I mean, unless it's like a really big turtle. I mean, we're talking like sea turtle. That could be a problem when you're driving. But like, you're like lap turtle. (laughs) You know, like how exciting is that? (laughs) So it's about like how she calls 
the papers and they send a Hungarian ghost hunter from the International Institute for Psychical... Is that the word? Psychical. I like that. Yeah. Research. I think that's how that says. I don't know. It might be. And so they think that she has a poltergeist. So apparently it's about that story. So I'm pretty excited. Ghost turtles for the win. Yeah. Ghost turtle. Oh, yeah. I wonder if it was a ghost turtle. Like, that would be kind of disappointing if, like, you don't get to hold it, actually, because it's just a ghost turtle. Your hand goes right through, like, uh, so sad times. That's the sad part of this story. Yeah. <laughs> ghost turtle is my new band name. <laughs> We've lost it today. <laughs> yeah. It's hot. It's okay, though. It's like, I like it. It's good. <laughs> it's hot. It is. All right. So that is it for us this week. Thank you to our listeners. Thank you to our sponsors. And thank you to our awesome audio editor, Jen Zink who has to make sense of all this wildness. If you want to reach us, you can drop us a line at all the books at bookriot.com. You can find us on Instagram. Vanessa is Buenos Dias SD. I am friends and comes alive. And if you want to give us a treat, you can go to Apple Podcasts and leave a rating or review. It helps other book lovers to find us. And as much as we would love to tell you about more ghost turtles, we just don't have the time, but you can read about more turtles out now in the show notes at bookriot.com slash all the books as well as find a link to our weekly new books newsletter. And in the meantime, happy reading.